A Focus Summary of Act 1, Part 1 of A Doll's House The first act opens on a firelit living room at Christmas time, with Nora, the woman of the house, bustling about in high spirits as she prepares for the evening's festivities. When her husband, Torvald, emerges from his office, we are given a glimpse of what would be viewed by Ibsen's audiences as a conventionally happy relationship between husband and wife. He is the doting and protective, if patronizing, head of the household. He calls his wife affectionate pet names, his little squirrel, his little skylark. He playfully chides her for her reckless spending. He condescendingly questions her about indulging in sweets. He calls her a featherbrain and a spendthrift, and treats her as utterly dependent on his guidance and good judgment. He scolds her and pets her and teases her with the air of an adoring authority. Nora flits around the house frivolous and carefree. She yields to Torvald's judgment on all important matters. She uses her flirtatious feminine wiles to cajole him into giving her what she wants. She engages in the petty rebellions of a child, sneaking sweets and cursing behind his back. She is seemingly blissful in her role as his charming, mindless, dutiful, subservient little plaything. In their banter over money, we learn something important about Torvald. He has strict scruples where money is concerned. He is morally opposed to borrowing and lending, and says, quote, There can be no freedom, no, nor beauty either, in a home based on loans and credit. Unquote. Nora is paid a visit from a woman she does not at first recognize as her childhood friend, Christine Lind. Mrs. Lind's mature and sober demeanor contrasts starkly with Nora's blithe spirit. Mrs. Lind has endured many serious trials a loveless marriage forged of necessity because she had to provide for her mother and brothers, the death of her husband and the subsequent demise of his business, leaving her penniless and obligated to take whatever work she could. And then, when her mother died and her brothers no longer needed her, the emptiness of a life without purpose. As Christine speaks solemnly of the hardships she has suffered, Nora, who has vowed she mustn't be selfish and must not speak of her own affairs, chatters on effusively about her own lovely children, her husband's promotion, and the relief she feels at the prospect of having heaps and heaps of money. But when Christine responds that Nora always was a great spendthrift, Nora indignantly declares that she is not as silly as Christine might think. She too, she says, has something to be proud of. In the first year after their marriage, Torvald had overworked himself and fallen dreadfully ill. The doctors insisted that it was necessary for him to go to Italy, but to do so would cost a tremendous amount of money. They borrowed it from Nora's father just before he died, and Nora, pregnant with their first son, looked after Torvald in Italy until he had made a full recovery. Then, when Christine maintains that Nora, who had a father to give her money when she needed it, knows little of the real burdens and troubles of life, Nora is prompted by defensiveness to come out with the truth. Her father did not give them the money for the trip to Italy. She procured it herself. She borrowed the money without her husband's knowledge or consent. Christine calls her actions imprudent, but Nora insists that they were absolutely necessary— 
It would have put Torvald's life at risk to know what a dangerous condition he was in. So in tears and entreaties that he travel for her sake did not work, she was left with no other way out of the difficulty. She had kept all this a secret for two main reasons. First, it would be humiliating for Torvald, with his manly independence, to know he owed something to his wife. Second, she intended to save her secret for that day when her dancing and dressing up had palled on him. Then she could reveal what she had done and recover his devotion. From that time, she had made all her payments punctually, putting aside money wherever she could without in any way depriving her husband or children, and earning it by locking herself away until the late hours doing copying work. She tells Christine she had sometimes dreamt of some rich old benefactor falling in love with her and leaving all his money to her in his will. But now, she says, she has no need of one, because Torvald's promotion means they shall soon be free from care. The bell rings, and the servant introduces a man who has come to see Torvald. Both women have strange reactions. Christine trembles and turns to the window, and Nora, in a strained voice, asks him what he wants with her husband. Her relief when he assures her that he is there on bank business, and nothing else, suggests that he is the man from whom she took the loan. From the conversation that ensues after he is sent into the study, we learn that he is a lawyer by the name of Krogstad, that he is a widower with several children, and that Christine knew him many years ago when he lived in her town. When Krogstad goes into Helmer's office, Dr. Rank, Nora and Torvald's dearest friend, comes out. Nora introduces him to Mrs. Lind, and he says he has often heard her name mentioned in the Helmer household. He is a man with a sardonic sense of humor. He tells the two women that Krogstad, the man who had just gone in to see Torvald, is morally diseased, and he laments that some people think it advisable to put such men into lucrative positions where they can keep an eye on them. Healthy natures, he says, are left out in the cold. When Mrs. Lind responds that it is the sick who most need taking care of, Rank responds with bitter humor, that is the sentiment that is turning society into a sick house. Suddenly amused, not by Rank's quip, but by her realization that everyone who works at the bank, including Krogstad, is dependent on Torvald now, Nora becomes giddy with delight. She invites Rank to indulge with her in a macaroon or two, and says how much she would like to exclaim, with Torvald present, Well, I'm damned. When Rank announces that Torvald is coming, and she has her chance, she tells him to hush, and hides the packet of macaroons. <laughs> 